When I was 12, we left for our first open ocean sailing trip from New Zealand to Fiji. I just started a new school and then I got pulled out a few months later and we were going to do correspondence school. The way it works when you're doing an ocean passage is you sit and you look at weather maps. It's changed a lot now, but back then the weather maps were patchy and we would sit there and try to estimate the right time to leave. And the idea is that you'd catch the weather system just at the right time to get mostly winds that were favorable. And this would make the trip obviously smoother and more comfortable. However, the weather patterns are shifting. They're moving along. So you need to try to anticipate or forecast, and there's models that do this and help you with this, but effectively forecast the weather pattern such that it will also coincide with the forward motion of the boat. So when these two come together, you'll be in a position to have hopefully favorable winds for most of the trip. So the question is, when do you leave? When do you decide to go? When do you shoot the gap? Hi, it's John. You're listening to the Access Potential Podcast. At one point, it's too early, and we still don't know enough. We're not sure. There's too much uncertainty on the system. Yet at another point, when the conditions are perfect, it's too late. There's a lot of different ways that we can learn. When people talk about this, often they refer to visual learning, listening, reading, writing, repetition. Basically, when we zoom out, though, we can see that there's two main modes that we can engage in to learn something. The first of these is what's called assembly line learning. So this is when we have a set topic, a set of exercise, a set of exercises, a sequence, a fixed off an indoors location that's separate from the broader community, and we basically follow a curriculum. We all know this model. Of course, it's present from when we're about five years old all the way up through most of our schooling and even into tertiary education. We also see this model quite often in seminars, workshops, personal development circles, uh, in other areas. Anytime we read a book, anytime we engage in a top-down situation, we're effectively going through assembly line learning. So it's largely intellectual and the practice of the learning is removed from the broader community. So we take pl- the learning takes place in some level of isolation. The second way that we can learn is through pitching in or more technically called learning by observation and pitching in. Traditionally, learning by observation and pitching in is common in a lot of indigenous cultures in North and Central America. This type of learning is likely to involve much wider and keener levels of attention. There's a few main characteristics here. The end goal for everyone 
including the student, is that they want to contribute to the group. And there's no extrinsic reward from a teacher. So the student is constantly moving towards mastery. There's generally less talking. There's more observation. And there's certainly a lot more doing. The participants observe the activity from the beginning. Then, where they can and where it's helpful, they start to pitch in. On the same trip to Fiji that we had, one of the islands that we visited was called Waia. And it was a small village, a beautiful little island. And we spent quite a bit of time there. One time we went ashore after we'd been there a week or two and I was still 12 and I was invited to go with a group of kids and we were going to go hunting or catching, hunting for shrimp or to go catch shrimp, freshwater shrimp or prawns. And of course I couldn't speak the language and they could not speak English. So we had no ability to communicate verbally what we were doing and the methods that they were going to use to catch the shrimp were completely foreign to me I had no idea what I was doing so effectively we hit it off and I had some kind of shoes with me and I got the message pretty soon to not take my shoes so we went off and we were barefoot and we scaled up a river and there were large boulders so it was kind of using your hands and your arms to climb up these boulders and we made our way probably for 40 minutes or so up this climb and then all of a sudden we stopped and we went over to coconut trees and we got some coconut fronds and they have a long spine down the middle of the frond and we shredded the middle of the spine and this leaves you with a long probably one meter long spine or a, sort of a stick but it's flexible you can still bend it and tie it into knots and you tie a, a overhand knot in one end and then slide the other end of the spine through the knot and this would make a like a loop like a noose and then we also cracked open some of the old coconuts so the brown ones uh, not the the fresh green ones but the ones which are harder and solid and we took the coconuts with us and these front and these um, front spines of the coconut fronds and kept going we got to the river and then we basically chewed up the coconut, spat it in the water, and then as these shrimp started to emerge, we would take the noose and put it behind the shrimp. So when the shrimp backed away into its home again after it collected the coconut, we would quickly cinch it down and pull the shrimp out by the tail without the shrimp really noticing. This whole practice was learned without language. So it's learned through pitching in. At the beginning, of course, for me at 12, I had no idea what I was doing. And even at the end, still no idea. But there were opportunities in those moments to pitch in. And what we did at the end was, I, I think I might have gotten two shrimp and they got maybe 10 or 15 each. And in the end, we accumulated all of the shrimp and then divided it up by the people. So the incentive was to pitch into the group and not to get the most for yourself. So that point around no less talking is pretty important because with less talking, it opens up the door for the experience and for more moving.
for more movement. There's less direct leadership or the leadership is more flexible. There's a great book by Ben and Roz called The Art of Possibility. And there's a concept in the book that's called leading from any chair. And this is the same thing, Ben and Rosander. This is the same concept. And effectively what we're doing here is having a flexible leadership. So not one, not one of these kids led the group. And not one person holds the post. We get to pass it around. Everyone gets to lead. The participants in the group who are at a high level of mastery may lead the activity, but the flexibility is there for others to pitch in and lead uh, for moments or when they have the possibility or when they have the ability to do it. The participant is learning to collaborate with participation and consideration, as well as learning the skills or attributes involved. Learning to collaborate with participation and consideration. Learning involves wide, keen attention in this space. So what that means is the activities are often taking place in situ. So the learning around the catching of the shrimp is taking place whilst catching the shrimp, not in the classroom. The wide, keen attention exists because of this environment, but also because of the anticipation of being able to contribute to the group. There's such a high value that comes from contribution back to the group that it automatically encourages wider, keener attention. And of course, this can be contrasted. We all remember back when we were sitting in English and, well, for me, it was called fourth form or fifth form or university. I remember my second year in engineering, um, sometimes being so tired or distracted, depending on the lecturer or what was going on, that you would have to pull yourself back into the room. And this is kind of the opposite. When we're in situ, when we're in the activity, it forces us to have attention. Communication is based on a shared reference. So there's a lot of nonverbal communication. And any verbal communication can be based around the task at hand or it can include stories or past lessons around the task. Finally, the assessment in this type of learning includes appraisal for the success of the amount of support provided for the learner, as well as the appraisal for the learner's shift towards mastery. Typically, we appraise the learner's shift towards mastery in assembly line learning. In learning by observation and pitching in, we appraise also the amount of support provided for the learner. So there's a feedback, not just top-down, but also from bottom-up. This type of learning, learning by observation and pitching, is defined by experiential activities. It incorporates members of society of all different ages and backgrounds if they are willing and wanting to contribute to the task at hand. In contrast, assembly line learning seeks to control learners' attention, motivation, behaviors, and setting separate from contributions to the broader community. When we're a coach, when we're a trainer, when we're a practitioner, 
and we're leading a group. We are also part of a broader culture of trainers, of coaches, of practitioners. One of the questions is, how do we engage in continued learning in our craft? One option, of course, is assembly line learning. One option is to go to a workshop, to go to a seminar, to buy some DVDs, to buy a book, to listen and to read. Of course, this can be helpful. No question. However, the other option is through addressing learning by observation and pitching in. What does it look like if we begin to pitch in to the culture of learners, practitioners, coaches, trainers, teachers, whatever your industry might be? What does it look like if we take the concept of catching the fish, the shrimp, and bring that into the space that we are sitting in professionally? A couple of episodes ago, I did a podcast on distribution and the daily blog. And what we have now is the potential to pitch in at any moment in time. Through the act of pitching in, we're contributing to this culture. We're making an assertion that if we all do this together, we can make the culture better. We can make it more effective. We can make it more powerful. Of course, pitching in can take a lot of different forms. It could be along the lines of the blogging, along the lines of how and when and why you engage with social media and how you use social media. It could be through video. It could be through email. It could be through offline events and workshops as well. Similar to the boat, when the weather system is traveling across and we're looking to travel vertically and we're trying to find the inflection point where it's not too soon and yet it's not too late. We find ourselves in a position where we're sitting as a teacher, a practitioner or a coach and trying to figure out the best time for us to begin this act of pitching in. Some people talk about it as creating content or others will refer to this as putting yourself out there or building a brand. Yet if we flip that concept on its head and consider this idea of pitching in, consider this idea of making the culture better to elevate our own understanding and learning and as well as that of the others, then when we look at these examples that have been used in other cultures, we find that we can go a lot sooner than what we think. With the boat, if we go too early, the risk is that we get slammed by bad weather. The trip can go from a pleasant five days to a torturous 10 days. If we go too late, the same thing can happen. The trip can take longer be a lot more uncomfortable. Sometimes you even need to change the trip if your timing's off. As a professional, this act of pitching in literally can't come too soon. 
through the act of deciding to teach us something, through the act of deciding to create a piece of content, a gift, something that you can stand behind, an assertion that you believe in, a concept that you identify with and that you think that we should hear about and know about, through deciding to share this, you are automatically not only pitching into us as a culture, but you're also creating a positive feedback loop which makes it more powerful for you to then level up further and learn and understand and experience even more concepts which you'll then be able to share again. Effectively, what we're looking at is the environment. It turns out that when we're sitting in the classroom and the environment maintains a status upgrade when we get something right and then shame or a status downgrade if we get the wrong answer or if we have a bad idea, then very quickly our defense mechanisms kick in and we choose to opt out. We choose to not share. We choose to not contribute. We choose to not pitch in. The downside, similar to the boat, outweighs the upside. We need to be certain that we have the answer before we contribute. However, now there's many cultures, many circles, many groups that we can be part of, that we can create, that we can join in on, where we can define the fact that there's a status upgrade that's incorporated with the act of pitching in. That it's aspirational to bring in any element of interest, any idea, any topic that might be helpful to the group, even if it's wrong, even if the idea is a little bit crazy, even if it's a little bit wild. When we have this culture, then we have rapid development. Then we have rapid growth. Through teaching, we learn. As we learn, we can teach. That's it for today. This podcast around learning, around learning groups, around pitching in was inspired, obviously, by some of the groups that I've been fortunate enough to be in in the past. Currently, I'm in week one of one such group at the moment, which is the Alt-MBA with Seth Godin. And Seth's work is something I've referenced before and definitely worth checking out. And also in the Access Potential Academy that I run, we have an amazing group of humans who are contributing each and every day. There's almost 2,000 messages that have been sent or shared in two short months. And the difference is remarkable. When we have an environment where there's an, there's an interest in contribution, when there's an interest in changing things, when there's an interest in making things better, it's a huge catalyst for our own growth. Is there some place you can go? Is there something you can create? Is there something you can do now to create this type of environment? That's it for today. 
any questions on this podcast around learning through observation and pitching in, feel free to give me a shout at john at johntmarsh.com. And I'll see you back here next week. I'm going to have a guest, I think, again next week and another two or three weeks still out here on Great Barrier Island. Have a great one. Thank you for listening.
like when we were growing up, we had to do things certain ways, and it had to do with workability. I think that was what I was where I was heading, and there would be things like because my dad was in the fire service and then on his days off did uh, contract gardening, and I worked with him all the time, and he taught me, oh, he taught me a whole bunch of stuff. But you had to spade certain ways. You had to, you know, you had to face. Um, one way when you spaded and one way when you were using a hoe and you had to rake this way and you had to sweep downwind and you had all these, um, they were rules, but they were rules that if you got the underlying um, reason for what you were doing, it all made sense. And then that became something that, well, it, I, that I, had to, I did it that way, but it wasn't because I had to do it a certain way because I was taught it was because it worked this way and then if I was doing something a little bit different I would look at well you know like painting for example if you paint from the bottom up you're dripping the paint on the top goes onto the paint that you've got too many brush strokes in already underneath so if you paint from the top down you know you're always can keep a wet edge and if something drips you can just you know your paint's going to go over it so like it makes sense to do it that way. And then oh, the assembly line thing was they brought in a time motion guy and we were, we were doing precast concrete stuff and we were moving all these boxes around and you you'd, you'd strip them down, you put wire in them and oil them up and all this kind of stuff. And it was the order and they were actually putting stopwatches on us. And then what I got out of that experience there was that when you're someplace, you do as much as you can. You don't come back. It's like if you're coming back, you throw time away. So that's because I took that on. It's like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come back. And so, like, I if I see something that needs to be done, I pick something up. Like, if I'm in the gym and I pick up the dumbbells and the rack underneath the dumbbells is all dirty, well, I just go get a rag and I put wipe it up before I put the dumbbells back, and then that's clean. So like, I don't have to go back. So I'm I'm preventing myself from going back, and then that gets to the clean wake idea. As soon as I started designing and sailing on sailboats, I realized that a really small wake, making really small disturbance in the water, was a way faster way to go through the water. So I was making boats that surfed and went fast. They had to just skip through the water without a big wake. And then I thought, well, you're going, you know, I'm going through life, and there's all this impact that's behind me. So I started looking, turning around, and... Uh, what prompted it was because I was losing things. So then I started going, well, I'm just going to turn around. It's so like now it just is habitual that as I leave the kitchen or I, I, have a, I have a look and if something needs to be done that I missed, I do it right then because I don't want to go back. And I think then, like you say, you by doing that, you just give yourself time that you can then Recover. You're not like always going back. You don't have all this stuff piled up behind you that is just sitting on top of you that you're saying, oh, God, got to get that done. Oh, man, I've got to get that done. It's like that stuff doesn't, it just isn't there. So you get to just stop, which is what I'm doing now. It's like I'll just go down to the beach and stop and just sit there and just, and I, but I'm still, the projects, like, like you, were, you were saying, I find that they're going as fast or faster than they were before, but I'm spending lots of time um, re-energizing myself. Resting, yeah. It is resting, yeah. 
It's recovery. Uh, when when I know you got to go soon, so we'll wrap it up. But the other the other the it seems like there's a almost a there's almost a grounding for that wake idea, and I'm reminded of uh, situations like when we had the gym and we would always encourage people to be the first person to say hello when somebody new comes in. And what's happening is the new person turns up and obviously their perception of the environment is very different to the person who's been there for a year or two. And it's very easy for the person who's been there for a year or two to say hello. And it's a lot harder emotionally for the person who just turned up, depending, you know, on the situation. And so what you're doing in, as the person who says hello first, who, you know, you, you've been around for a while, you're making them welcome and you're changing their perception and you're making them feel like they belong. Mm. And you're generally making the situation better from an emotional standpoint. And when you pick up the dumbbells, you see the dust underneath. It's almost like the, the saying hello first is to take this situation or social situation and improve it and make the mm -hmm. other person mm -hmm. welcome. And there's a parallel where it's like, well, I walk past the thing that's thrown down on the ground and I can improve the situation and I can step into that kind of vacuum and I can pick it up. Mm -hmm. Or I can walk past it. Mm -hmm. And just before you go, like, how would you see that one could, because there's a, there's a lot more, it's a different posture. You're a forward-leaning posture to make the thing better. Right. And you're paying attention. And you're paying attention. Yeah. Uh, That's the thing, I think, is the paying attention. But it's like of not paying attention in a, you know, a... Uh, like a, a anal kind of way. Yeah. you know like yeah right in an anal kind of way it's just being on like peripherally aware of kind of what's all around you and then um you'll 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 spot it like i see stuff all over here right now but it's like uh yeah just um i don't know it's like each each task it's like you enter the tasks they all turn into little tiny tasks like that. If you see something that needs to be done, it's like our Lizzie mate told me one that she, she, when she dawned on that, she says, well, if it takes less than a minute, I'll do it right now. And so I go, oh, yeah, okay, that's good. I mean, you, that really, that minute's not going to hurt you. And if it's, especially if it has major impact or can help somebody else, like, you know, you leave the, the kitchen and you've just, if you leave it so the next person comes into a, pristine workplace they're going to be way um happier and then if you walk if they walk into something where there's you know dirty dishes in the sink and they like they want to make themselves some lunch and everything's all all screwed up you've got then depending on them maybe they would maybe some people that would think that was fine but i would say oftentimes you're you're just kind of sabotaging the other person's that's wake stuff you know it's like you're you've just left a, uh, a mess in your wake and now somebody else is going to clean it up it's either they're going to clean it up so you're dumping it on everybody else or you're going to have to go back and clean it up by having not done it at the at the time uh so before we wrap up 
that's coming back around. So we spoke about we spoke a little bit about vision <clears throat> to help create the kind of urgency and necessity that you talked you talked about um, this vision of the future, and I know you mentioned before as well this kind of concept of gift to your future self, and you just spoke then about the gift to your future self in terms of the wake but also the gift towards the future of others. So other people, right. so you, you have a positive net positive impact from impeccability right. Right. and attention. Right. Um, anything just to leave on that in terms of this future self? Well, the thing about the future self that I think is, is interesting is when you are receiving the gifts from your past self. So like your past self has set it up it's like i've done the training i have the gift now from my past self of the strength that i have and i was like thanks you know and if you can celebrate gifts from your past self and kind of keep it going with in mind that you're gifting your future self you're going to have this it's going to be like a celebration all the time and if you can spread that by kind of doing the other people will get you they can get if they can get involved in it and they're going along, they get to go along with it too. So extending basically the conversation, extending to how you relate with other people as well. Yeah. Because you basically, you have the similar kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else? We'll wrap it up. Otherwise. There was one. Um, it was the thing. Oh, I know. It was, uh, we were talking about um, this, um, saying you want to do something, you know, like, okay, hey, next week we're going to have such and such, and you say, oh, yeah, great, that'd be really cool. But then as time, as it gets closer and closer, you more and more don't want to do it. You know, and by the time it, time it comes, you're, like, totally out of energy, and you're, you're, you're like, well, you'll get, you could get sick. You could just, it could prevent, your body could just prevent you from doing what it is. And it was something that Joanna was saying and I said well you if you had your um you have to um uh, ask your future self what it really is going to want because so that comes gets around to knowing yourself like so if you know that you're going to run out of energy unless you you know um take take steps in order to recover that then you you can't make the commitment in the first place. You just you just are. It's a, it's kind of like the reverse of going back. It's like going forward and running into a wake that you've kind of created from the past. It gets to uh, you know it gets really kind of funny when uh, kind of the foresight. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is really knowing yourself. It's yeah. like because this I, the people that I've seen that do this over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, doing yeah. it all the yeah. time. It's like. Have you noticed that you've, you're running out of energy? Or like they'll run out of energy at the end of every day. Every day. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe if you took a nap at, for 20 minutes after your um, midday meal, you know, and that kind of stuff works. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that sometimes I'll get people to do is when they're creating the project at the, the launch date and all these things is to put a little bit in and where is like who's going to stop me? And where am I going to stop myself? Like, where's my narrative going to pop up? Similar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it for today. We, 
if you have any questions on this episode or the uh, any of the previous ones, send them to john at johntmarsh.com and we'll see you here next week and we'll keep this series going while I'm out on Great Barrier. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you found it interesting, feel free to share it along to somebody else. Have a great one.